0: Greetings. I'm Keith Klein, the host of the VentureFizz podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. This is episode 288, and today's guest is Rodney Williams, serial entrepreneur and co-founder of Solo Funds. It's impressive when an entrepreneur builds a company from scratch that ultimately scales. But I think it's even more impressive when you can combine a strong social mission to a company that scales as well. And that is exactly what Rodney and his co-founder, Travis Holloway, have built with Solo Funds, a leading community finance platform focused on underserved communities. It's a marketplace where you can lend money to those who are looking to borrow. And it's working as the company has over 1.3 million downloads and has surpassed 600,000 in loans funded and 300 million in transaction value. As the only black-owned B Corp fintech in the US and Canada, the company is backed by a variety of investors, including Rich Dennis's fund, New Voices, and Serena Williams's fund, Serena Ventures. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics like advice for entrepreneurs of color on raising funding for their startup. Rodney's background story, including obtaining his MBA from Howard University and his time at Procter & Gamble as a brand manager. We break down the tech and use cases for Listener, a leading ultrasonic data platform company that he co-founded, all the details about solo funds in terms of how the company came together and the impact that it is making, the story of his recent TV appearance on the Peacock series called Founding in Color, and so much more. Okay, quick side note, we have some exciting news to share. The team at VentureFizz has launched a new website called Just Product Management Jobs. We are combining laser-focused job postings for product managers with high-value blog content that will be written by expert contributors covering topics around career advice and the latest trends and best practices in the PM industry. So if you are a product manager looking for a new opportunity or if you are hiring product managers, go to JustProductManagementJobs.com. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Rodney. Rodney, thanks so much for joining us.
1: No, thank you. It's, a, it's such a pleasure to uh, to be here.
0: I am really excited to talk to you. You are involved with a lot of things, from multiple startups as a serial entrepreneur, uh, to you're your company's being featured in an upcoming television show that we're, we're talking about. Actually, by the time this airs, it will be actually out uh, so people can check it out. So I won't uh, let the cat out of the bag exactly yet on what that's all about. But there's obviously that a lot that you're involved in. Um, I wanted to start off with something that's very important. And um, I think there have been some steps forward, but we need to make many, many more steps forward. And that's how, you know, how do we get more entrepreneurs of color involved in terms of raising capital, building companies, you know, so I wanted to just ask you like, you know, as an entrepreneur of color, like how have you overcome obstacles along the way? And what advice would you have to share with other potential entrepreneurs that have similar aspirations?
1: Yeah. You know um, I think one of the things that, you know, and I, I started my first company or uh, my, at least my first venture backed company in in 2012. So um, it's been it's been over 10 years. And, and I think one of the biggest things that I've noticed from a difference from that perspective is, number one, there actually are a lot of really incredible, talented founders uh, of color, as well as uh, companies that are backed or, or led by um, founders um, of color. So I think there's no shortage of companies. I think what what tends to happen is there's still a, an extreme shortage of, of capital that 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 is required to fund them. Um, the result of that is that the, the, with more companies and they're still there, these companies are turning into some really strong real businesses. And, and especially in this economic climate where it's not about raising hundreds of millions of dollars, it's about creating viable businesses. I have a I have a nudge or a hint that a lot of these founders will will um, start to get get support. So my, my advice is is really simple um you know be persistent um create a real business um i think you can create a real business and it still be venture backable right um what i mean by that is really good you know economics really good profit margin um a pathway to profitability really really sound milestones really really efficient and 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 what i would call responsible spending um let's let's bring let's bring some of those things back um, into the venture conversation, and um, and and that's my that's my, that would be my advice for 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 founders um, at this current stage.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I think it is uh, a different time frame out there right now than what it was in uh, the you know twenty twenty two. You started to see a decline as the year progressed, and then twenty twenty one was out of control. Like that's just not sustainable as far as the amount of venture funding and the valuations that entrepreneurs were getting. So we're just back to basics of building a company that has value, that has a real product, a massive opportunity that's venture fundable. So if you do those things, you should get funded hopefully. So, uh, who knows, but, that's, uh, that's the,
1: that's the assumption. That's that, or that at least that's the story that we were all
0: told. Well, let's re- rewind the clock. So where did you grow up? What were you like as a child? Oh man, we're, we're, I grew up so I'm originally from Baltimore, um,
1: uh, and I um, uh, originally my family are, are from Jamaica. So my mom and dad from Jamaica grew up in a home full of entrepreneurs who were who were trying to get it done. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, we we had many I had many examples of them falling short and and being successful at the same time, right? So um, that, that, those, those, those war stories are, were, were stories I'm were very, were very comfortable with, like everything from, you know, my dad landing a big deal to losing it all. And, you know, we can't keep the lights on. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I definitely grew up understanding a very, having a very clear understanding of, of what it means to be an entrepreneur and, and do the things that you ultimately want to go out and do. Um, as a kid, uh, even today, I'm actually, I used to be uncomfortable with someone trying to give me a label as a kid, and I still am. You know, you know, are you the smart kid? Are you the athlete because you play sports? Or, you know, I did drama and I sang. <laughs> so, like, are you a like, creative one? Uh, and are you just, you know, I I kind of just wanted to be a kid. And, and I, and I thought, and I, and I, and I, and and the reason why is I I actually excelled in all of it, right? You know, I was good in school. I did play sports. I was, you know, I played sports in college. I did go to Baltimore School for the Art. You know what I mean? I, I kind of have always been this really, really dynamic personality and really was confused with this concept of being one thing. Um, And, and that kind of continues to carry on to me today, Right. You know, I've had certain investors tell me that I need to wear suits, <laughs> and and I need to shave my beard or cut my hair. I've had investors tell me, you look too much like a creative, Rodney. You're not a creative, and I've had all of the terrible advice that you can possibly have outside of Rodney. Maybe you should just be yourself,
0: right? And, be and, yourself,
1: and 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 and, and I, I I have one. I have a few investors now that actually do believe I should just be myself. They say I'm more effective as myself, but, um, these are things that I had to learn over time for sure. Um, there was a lot of pain points there.
0: Yeah. I think uh, most people would be more successful just being themselves because you can only imitate something for so long before it's, uh, it's just not going to be you. All right. So how did you get your career started? Like the early, you know, career fundamental years. Yeah. You know,
1: that kind of concept of 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 getting of getting it done, you know, from a business standpoint, um, um, that that was just kind of how I lived. So, for example, um I, I probably threw my my I had many businesses as a kid. You know, I had the out of business when I was like maybe about six or nine, where I um where I my mom had a beauty shop. And I would actually rent out magazines to there <laughs> uh, <laughs> because I had the better magazines. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, um, I had, uh, you know, in high school, um, um, I threw a party in high school, and I got really like it was a really big deal. Um, I first did it for my high school, but then I, I actually, you know, broke off and was like, I figured out how to make this make this turn into money for me. <laughs> um, when I went to college, I was a freshman, and I did something very similar. I, I I did I took my refund check and I I threw a party, and then I threw a concert, and then I threw a bigger concert, and I actually became one of the one of the big promoters on campus relatively fast and relatively young um and it was just you know it was just about seeing an outage like all of these opportunities is just like I I I saw an opportunity to to bring something and and I was able to do it that actually turned into my first tech business technically um you know I did not think about throwing parties the way regular promoters did for me, it was like if i could collect as many names and as many email addresses and phone numbers i i could i would have a member base that i could advertise to and i just happened to be advertising a party but eventually i could sell that to the local pizza shop or the local small business and i could make a lot more money than selling parties and that's eventually what happened so the parties actually became the funnel for you know, give me your name, give me your email address and all that information. And then I would, you know, I would take those that list and, and, and monetize it in many other ways. So um that's that that's kind of also, you know, when I when I I did two undergraduate degrees and then I did two master's degrees. When I was going for my MBA, I um met someone close to PNG, Procter and Gamble. And they they kind of I heard my story and was like you need to apply <laughs> you're a marketer but you're just a natural marketer and I was mm-hmm. like cool you know uh, they sound it sounds great <laughs> I'm not you know they they're not necessarily recruiting many many students from West Virginia University who I, where I went to undergrad or even Howard University at the time but I applied online and 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 eventually I, I made my way um, to PNG as an intern and it, and ultimately um a, as an assistant brand manager um at the company um which which honestly um was my training ground and into who into i into who i am today
0: well so what did that experience teach you cuz from what i gathered you were working on Pampers
1: yes yeah i you know um the story about Pampers is pretty simple i um in my boldness i i i when you're an intern you can like Soft circle, a few brands that you would want to be on, and you know everyone else did exactly what you could imagine. They wanted to be on Gillette or CoverGirl, or, you know, just more some more of the uh, flashier brands. And I didn't, I didn't put nothing down. I said, you know, put me where you think I need to be, mm-hmm. and I ended up on on Pampers, and their logic was, Pampers was the most digital savvy brand at and in the company and I, I was definitely a digitally savvy recruit. Um, and more importantly, it was the largest brand in the company. So, you know, I, I took that on, I took that challenge on, um, and, and learned as much as I could understand about new moms and parenting and all of the, the, the ways in which, you know, um, the touch points that matter. I spent a lot of time in hospitals and in, and in diaper aisles. Um, But, you know, at the time, I led Pampers to be like the first P&G brand on Facebook, the first P&G brand with the mobile app, the first P&G brand to to really think about social and e-commerce in a very, very unique way. Um, You know, um, and we kind of, we definitely became the digital leader. My first year, Pampers was the number one brand on social media. It was like this report that actually came out. Uh, mm-hmm. so, uh, we, I did a lot of first there and, 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 and it was, and, and who would have known, but I think I just got the, I got the, the non-sexy opportunity because I let the opportunity come to me. Um, and I got a chance to, to, to learn so much and being the largest brand, the digitally brand, we were brought into so many conversations, right? The, 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 the initial conversations with Spotify, Wrong big advertising at a, at the, you know, at the time PNG was the largest advertiser in the world. Um, So like I was just brought into a lot of these conversations and, and, and it was an incredible thing to watch. And, and, and it taught me so much about startups and, and venture and and technology.
0: Very cool. Well, let's talk about your next startup listener. Okay. So this is a company as I was, uh, you know, doing my research, learning about it like how did you come up with the idea cuz it's it's definitely something that was innovative, groundbreaking, maybe even ahead of its time cuz the company is still around now and seems to be doing well but when it was started I'm like this is a new like protocol platform that people need to understand what it can do type of thing um so 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 what led you down the path of starting it
1: yeah, it, it's, 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 it, it was and is and continues to be ahead of its time um, for sure. Um, but, you know, listener in this very simple form is a way for devices to share data between devices or think of it as almost like a transport technology of data where um, we actually send and receive data using a speaker and microphone. Now, it's ultrasonic. And that's the cool part. That's the part. And and what ultrasonic basically means is that the data transmission is sitting within a frequency range that is inaudible, but inaudible to the human ear, but accessible and decodable by your microphone and speaker. Now, think about all of the places that require short range data transmission. And number one, the, the most simplest, old, antiquated, short-range data transmission is if I give you a dollar, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? I take a dollar out of my pocket and I give it to you, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe I, I take out a letter and I give it to you, right? Um, or I take out a ticket and I give it to you. Um, then some, then something happened where someone invented the barcode. And then now that that can transmit information. A credit card, a mag stripe. Um, what Apple uses, which is NFC, um, near field communication, or Bluetooth, are also short-range um, transmission. For 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 us, and and why this technology is is so disruptive and so powerful, a lot of the other transmission methods that I just mentioned require. Um, they require a chip. I mean, they require a piece of hardware. So the universal nature of it is restricted and the cost around it is restricted. I imagine the concept of any device with a speaker or a microphone can communicate with each other in short range. It can be an identifier. It could be a better driver's license. It's a better credit card. It's a better conduit for payments. Um, and, and and conceptually, that's that's where it went why it, it existed or the pain point that I felt as an entrepreneur and a founder I come I hated all of the friction with the shopping experience right I I hate it I still to this day you know you scan your items you plot your phone you got to do the apple like I you got to do biometrics like it is I, I all of the steps I just wanted you to take your items and walk out <laughs> and and yeah, for that to actually happen, you needed something with range, something that was secure, something that could be tied to many devices like your watch, your phone, and 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 that I firmly believe even for today that is that is listener. So, listener, despite I mean we we the, the history of listener is incredible when you think about you know it, it was CNBC Disruptor. Um, you know, we signed the, the largest ticketing company in the world, which is Ticketmaster. And then Apple kind of blocked the technology from ever getting to where it needed to be. Um, mm-hmm. There, you know, there was a um, there was, you know, huge Visa it became one of the largest investor um, and still one of the largest investor um, because it is better. It is better. But because of the bureaucracy around who owns your device. And the fact that we're like this tiny company, despite the fact that technology is pretty powerful, it there's more bureaucracy that limits consumer experience than you could ever imagine, and we experience that all over the world. I experience that all over the world with that with listener. Um, so, I mean, and, for, and 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 um, but despite that, you know, real tech and good tech will eventually prevail, the, mm-hmm. and so. You know, there's countries like Nigeria and Angola and Africa where listener is rapidly growing in usage, like like you would never even imagine, um, because again, those devices may not have NFC, and QR codes are, are 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 causing issues from a security standpoint. And all of a sudden, this super universal uh, technology, birthed out of Cincinnati, Ohio, is is now the number one conduit. Um, in a, in a, in a country like that. So um, it will continue to progress and I'm a firm believer that it will. Um, And, and I, and I, and I I get to watch it from a, from a, from the sideline. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and, And that's, that has a different level, another level of appreciation.
0: Yeah, no, I just noticed from, if you go to the press release section, they're still releasing new products. There's still a tremendous amount of momentum with the company in terms of its adoption, as you mentioned. All right. So let's, let's, go to the current company that you're, uh, you know, spending most of your time on these days, Solo Funds. So what is it and how did that company come to fruition?
1: So, you know, while, while I was, um, you know, doing listener and advocating all over the world around this technology, you know, and you can imagine how hard that was, <laughs> you know, I I, I I would go home. And a lot of my friends and family were still struggling, excuse me, financially, despite my financial position. So if you, you know if you if, you're, if you've ever been in that dynamic, you know, going home for Christmas or the holidays is like a constant. Like, hey, Rodney, can I borrow fifty dollars? Can I get hundred dollars for this? And uh, and and unfortunately, you you got to deal with some convenient uh, amnesia because you most likely will not get paid back. And and I and I'm, I was okay with that, but. The problem I started to get fixated on was, is this just a problem amongst my friends and family? Are, are, are Americans really needing $200 for a loan or $300? What do they need it for and what are the solutions? And, 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 and after a bit of research, it became really apparent that most financial service companies as a whole, fintech as a whole, was missing the opportunity. The, and, the, and the demand was outrageous. And, you know, and and just to kind of be clear there, there's, you know, depending on how you want to look at the data, there's roughly around 70% of Americans that live with very, very limited savings. So basically under $1,000 in their savings account. Um, and this is basically middle class America. And when they have in a given year, they're going to have like one to four what I call financial shock moments, and when they have these moments, they're going to fall short temporarily. And 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 there, this particular group, it's you know, tends to to use really expensive options to 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 fix this moment. Things like subprime credit cards, that you know, things like payday loans. Um, um, they go to pawn shops. Um, they, they go to title loans, they sell things on Etsy and East, you know, uh, so these, this is what I realized. And I was like, wait a minute, there's a huge opportunity here to, 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 and then the other part that's really important, you know, you'll have some companies, you'll have some consumers say, well, what about, what about overdraft like loans and like these wage cash advance companies and wage advances? Well, what, what, well, what happened if you're, a bartender. There's no hours to draw down. <laughs> what yeah. happens if you work at a small business? Because basically, you know, if your company is not like in their system, you can't really draw down on that payroll. You know, yeah. what if you are a DJ? What if you're a gig economy worker? What if you are what this middle class group? You know, they have multiple sources of income. You kind of needed a very very wide um, type of short term product. So we needed to be able to assess. A very, very large group of Americans. And we needed to be able to provide it in a very, very easy way. I will tell you the other piece that we understood is that there was another group of Americans, um, similar to my my co-founder's father, who was a General Motors employee, that never got the call from Northwestern Mutual or Goldman Sachs for his money to be managed. And what I'm ultimately saying is that there's a large group of Americans that do not have the the relative, the, the required net worth to get really good yield and investment opportunity. And and that group of Americans are sitting with tens of thousands of dollars in their Bank of America and JPMorgan Chase account, and it's not getting any yield. So we said, I think we can connect that group of Americans with the group of Americans that need it. One group is gonna get yield that was that's gonna be really incredible, and the other group is gonna kind of get this undisputed access to capital and that was the premise for what became solo solo is called short for social loans solo funds uh, our users make a request set all their own terms um how much they need when they're going to pay it back um what they're going to pay for it they post it to a market marketplace and another member in the in the, in the in the in the marketplace decides to fund them super super simple but incredibly intelligent in, in terms of how we made it all work.
0: So, so how did you get it started? Cause with the, it's, you know, the concept is there, uh, but to actually get consumer adoption of people lending, and then obviously just general consumer awareness that there's this option versus the alternatives. How did you kind of get the flywheel started?
1: You know, there's one thing about solo that I, I that, i would tell you it's very different than listener and very different than a lot of other companies that i have been connected to um i have never seen product market fit like this i've never seen network effect like this i am i'm i'm still somewhat in awe and and what I would tell you, you know, the way the company, you know, my co-founder, number one, kudos to him because he participated in probably three or four different accelerators all over the country, literally all over the country, as we get got to a position to launch the company or launch the product. As you can imagine, there's so much legal and regulatory things that need to happen for you to think about launching a financial service. Anything, right? Um, and the way you the way you streamline that and you do that more efficiently is you use accelerators and partners who are going to kind of deliver, give you resources at a discount. Um, but um, that was part of his journey. The when we when we launched, uh, I always tell a story of we we put it on the app store. It was a very basic, scaled down version of what it is today, and within ten minutes. It was like within five minutes. It was like two minutes. Someone signed up and made a request, <laughs> and somebody funded it,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it freaked us out because
0: we—that's the wanted- greatest feeling. though. you're like, oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> someone um, actually did a transaction.
1: <laughs> yeah, and we were like, what the like? We didn't. I was like, who did this? We didn't. You know, it wasn't us. Like, who did it? And right,
0: Relative.
1: <laughs> it, and it was and, and it really was. It was like um, it was a customer service rep that worked at Amazon. And it was like another person in California that, they, that lent them the money. And, and I will tell you, that's, that's kind of how our story happened. You know, the first day, it was a few loans. This next day, it was, you know, a few more. The next day it was 10, then it was 20. And the network effect of, uh, the community, um, I like to say that it's very similar to the network effect of Uber in its early days. They kind of measured it. And, and imagine you would you would ride in an Uber like when it first came out and then you would go tell everybody. <laughs> and mm-hmm. some people would turn into riders and some people would be like, wait a minute, uh, this is a good job opportunity. That's kind of what happens with solo. Someone someone gets a loan and, they, and they, they, you know, the next time they're in a group, they're like, Hey, have you guys heard of solo? Like there's people lending to each other, making tips. And I, it like totally saved me from keeping my lights on. And, and that network effect is, 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 is what is driving the growth of the business. I will tell you, um, we did have a viral moment that I, 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 it, it, I will tell you that was part of what happened. Um, a few months after we launched, um, a person or like a one of those one of those like um, to be honest, I think it was maybe Baller Alert. I don't know exactly who did it, which one, but they posted about the app and we got twenty four thousand downloads in 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 a day. Um, I mean there there's the flywheel Kickstarter for you if you want one. Right. Um, yeah, and 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 to be to be very clear though, the product was pretty bad. The first two years Mm -hmm. (laughs) from from 2018 to in 2019, it was not that great. Meaning, you know, there was a lot of bugs. Uh, We had a portion of lenders that were happy, but there was a lot of lenders that weren't. Borrowers have always been consistently happy. Um, So, you know, 2020 was a big year for us where we actually turned off, rebuilt everything
0: and relaunched. And uh, we haven't looked back since then. And you have gone on to raise venture funding, and you also became a certified B Corp. So, so what was the importance and significance of, of having that designation? Yeah, you know,
1: I, I'm fortunate to have like some really, I think, really incredible investors. And one of our investors is um, was the original founder of Sundial Brands. And Sundial Brands was one of the early, early, early B Corp companies alongside companies like Patagonia, right? And, and, and um so we were always aware of it and we always were were very interested in in how you know this concept of like like that you can do good and have profit, right? That you know a company doesn't have to be like for profit and nonprofit, like it, it can actually be impact focused. And and have a social mission, but at the same time, be a very very successful profitable business, and and we we were always attracted to it. And just to be honest, it's it's as you can imagine, it's not it's kind of exp- It takes time. <laughs> um, it is a serious process. Meaning, you know, there's assessments and things that you got to you know hand over financials and business model and reports. There's a there's a lot of 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 work. That is required to 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 reach that certification, and for us, because we all were in our new model, especially in financial services, it was super important for for a third party to say, "Hey, is, is Solo really saying and doing what they're saying?" That's it. <laughs> like you can, we could say it all day, but we wanted another company to do it. And 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 after about like eight months of diligence we we actually got the distinction of being certified and and we're we're definitely the only black owned one that's ever been certified. We're one of a few lending companies. They they you know um they tend to be pretty or you know as you can imagine they're just they're 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 strict in terms of how they assess um companies. So um we're 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 excited to to
0: be in in that list. So, what's the uh, the scale of the business today? Like whatever numbers you can share? Like you know number of loans issued. I know these numbers are constantly changing by the second, but just the general sense of scale for for the audience, yeah.
1: so n- number one, we're we're crossing over uh, a million um registered users. i um, wow. really excited um, to to get there. Um you know, when you think about a company that's only raised fourteen and a half million dollars of equity funding. Um, but cross over a million users, That that's the that's how efficient we are. Um, um, I, we've grown the company to nearly 100 employees. Um, we've crossed over 600,000 loans. Um, wow. We're doing 45,000 loans a month. Um, the largest CDFI in the country is probably doing like 10,000 loans a year. Uh, lending club or prosper in, the, in, the, in its best peer-to-peer day was was only doing a few ten, tens of thousands of loans a year um so we're you know we're we're doing that on a, on a monthly basis um our our transaction volume has crossed over about 300 million um uh, I will tell you the next milestone that we're marching to, like the way we're tracking is that that's basically loan funded as an income earned by our lenders and you know when you think about 82 percent of our members being underserved zip codes we we've kicked off this this campaign, which was our pathway to a billion, and it's uh, our pathway to put a billion dollars back into people's hands. Um, and we're 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 uh, at least uh, almost one third the way there. Um, but those are some of the some of the stats that I think are 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 really important to us. I would tell you some of the other stats that are important, like our default rate is three or four times better than the industry average. Um, and I think that's a testament to the community um and i my my other stat that tells this testament of the community um 99.9% of our loans include a tip to the lending member but only 83% include a donation to the platform now so what does that tell you number 1 they clearly understand who they're paying and and who's important here mm-hmm. um but i like to share that stat because it's an importance that to 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 the power of promoting the people over profit um i can't tell you how many um investors have told us you should just charge a fee why is it a donation why is it voluntary we actually don't get credit for it by vcs today they don't want to give us credit for it but we think it's just the right thing to do and that's it and, and, and we're gonna stand on it and, and we're gonna deal with the repercussions but you know you you know we, we, we we're growing because our users feel good um our customer satisfaction or NPS is three times better than industry average. It's over 90 that's like unheard of from a financial service company or a fintech. So these there's a number of things that we unpack here but uh it's the reason why we're growing um, um it's the reason why users are using us.
0: And those are just amazing, amazing numbers. So at the beginning of the interview, I had mentioned that there was a TV show tie in here. So um, yep. Solo and you are featured on a show that's uh, premiering. It was either last week or this week, but it is it is airing on um, Peacock. So it's called Lift Labs and this is their second season. So w- what is the show about and, and like, w- what was that experience like?
1: Yeah, you know, I kind of, I kind of shy away from, from a lot of these these types of opportunities, to be honest. But you know, we told ourselves towards the end of last year that it was super important for us to start to share our story. And 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 what we what we learned is it's up to us to share our story. And in the absence of telling our story, then someone else tells our story. And, and in most instances, it's, it's not going to be correct. So, um, for us um we we, you know, um, this was an opportunity for share our story. So I think I think NBC came aware of us because we actually won their financial lift off challenge, which is literally a pitch competition with a number of fintechs dedicated to to financial inclusion or and and kind of building things that kind of created a more finally financially inclusive environment we 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 won that pitch competition. So, I like to think that we won their support. Um, um, so I think that's how we think we got on their radar. Um, but I you know, founding in color um is a is a series um that um, I think this is now season two, but it's something that NBC had kicked off to to share these stories of, you know, founders. Um, that are extremely unique stories. All of the, it's, the stories are so unique, so uh, uh, inspiring because it, it usually requires a lot of additional effort to to launch and get to where it's a you know it's a successful business or successful venture black owned, you know thing. So for 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 us, we we had to audition. We had to you know get in rooms and and talk about ourselves and 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 share. Um, um, different things and, 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 and we were ultimately selected. And uh, I'm really excited to share the stage with some of the incredible founders that are going to be highlighted. I, I cannot stress how how inspired I was by their story and how I hope that all Americans are inspired by these stories too. Cause it's really the, you know, it's the story of being, it's the story of like chasing your dream at the end of the day um, and then ultimately accomplishing it. And, and I, and I think that's one of the, the greatest stories to be told.
0: Yeah, uh, before we uh hit the record button, we were talking about the show and I plan on uh checking it out this weekend. I have uh some some downtime that I know I'm, and I'm like I I can't consume enough content like this that's, you know, an entrepreneurial story. It's just uh it, it's why I do this podcast and I just, you know, it's the foundation of my business too. So, um I'm looking forward to checking it out and hearing about the other businesses too. So awesome. you're, you're involved in lots of other things too. So as I was researching your background, I'm like, man, Rodney's involved in so much. So some other accomplishments, like uh, so you're part of the Aspen Institute as a Henry crown fellow. You are also involved with new voices, family culture house. So talk about these different initiatives that you've been involved in outside of you know, building companies.
1: Yeah. You know, it's, um, and anyone that knows me, is there's a couple of things. I, I got, got here by answering the phone and, or excuse me, I got here by someone else answering the phone, taking the meeting, showing up for me and not asking for anything in return. There's so many people who have helped me along the way, whether it was that person that talked to me about P&G before I applied, from the person that you know made the introduction to the, my first investor, uh, you name it. Uh, I, I don't. I'm not here today it's just like rodney williams I, I i like to think that i'm a i'm an army or a collection of support that is at this point all over the world and i think some of the the entities that you mentioned are just like really really physical representations of that um aspen institute um it's in the henry crown fellow is something i'm incredibly appreciative and grateful for um i think i was i was recommended um by Stacey Brown, um, who was the former CEO of Tash Rabbit. Right. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know, I didn't even know she was a, a person following me. You gotta understand, like I, I didn't even know I was a thing to her in any capacity. But you know, she had been watching her and she'd been watching my story and and and, and when it came time to make the recommendation. I was one of the people she made a recommendation for. And these are some of the stories that have propelled me. Um, but that's an example of how I was ultimately nominated and and then ultimately brought into the, the Aspen Institute as a Henry Crown Fellow. I will tell you that uh, I'm also an Endeavor entrepreneur, who I think the Endeavor Entrepreneur Network as a whole, both of my companies are within our Endeavor companies. Um, and they have been incredibly helpful. The board members have been helpful. They've done everything they possibly could to, to make sure that I am like nurtured and supported um, as, a, as an entrepreneur. And I think that's been helpful. Um, New Voices Family, which you know we just had a great celebration um, last week uh, at NASDAQ, uh, is uh, it's it's a it's a family fund. But it's also backed by um Unilever and some other partners, I believe. Um, but the it's 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 led by Rich Dennis, Rich Lou Dennis, Rich, which is the um he was the founder of Sundial, which ultimately um sold to Unilever. Um and he made a pledge when he sold his company alongside Unilever to take $100 million and invest it in minority founders, specifically women. Um uh, he I think the if, if 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 without misquoting that portfolio has done extremely, extremely well. I think he's invested in over forty um plus companies. I think they've invested well over a hundred million dollars at this point, and they have made that back multiple times and and I think he's proving to to the venture world that someone's missing the boat here <laughs> mm-hmm. because. He, you know, he wasn't a venture investor before that, right? And all of a sudden he's like has this prolific portfolio. Like it's literally prolific. It includes my companies, but it includes companies like Mayo, um, who Mayel just sold to PNG for a lot of money, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they have companies like Honeypot in their portfolio, which is like the number two and three and five product and target. He has tech companies like, yeah, you know, he's, he's just been prolific. And, um, so I, I'm really, I was one of the first founders that he invested in and, and, and that family has been, and honestly the first investor to tell me to just be myself. So, um, I, I I'm, a, I'm extremely grateful for, for, for that new voices fund and, and the family, um, and their investment for sure. Uh, and I know you asked about culture house. Culture House, number one, Culture House is a party. Please come to the party. It's going to be a South by South. By South
0: by? <laughs> well, I but, I picked up on that, but I noticed I'm like, wait, he he started uh, like building these really like, these are like fun parties that have a lot of it. Like, it's just, it's an experience is probably the better way to put it. Uh, back when you were in, in high school, you said, right? Right. Or was it college? I just, I know no, no, it's like you started doing these parties that were like legit parties like early on. So this is a continuation, yeah. but more professional.
1: Yeah. And you know, it it so the way I listener was started via a startup competition called the Startup Bus on the way to South by Southwest, right? Sure. I remember so, that. Yeah. 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 Um, literally got my first check coming off the bus. Now <laughs> I would go I would go back every year and I would have like I would host like a like a happy hour. And we were like the only Black founders who hosted a happy hour. So let me, you know what happens? My happy hour was a professional happy hour for my clients and my mm-hmm. investors. What would happen is, you know, people would like hear like hip hop music and be like, oh my God, like did all of a sudden there'd be a line outside. And I'd be right. like, hey, this is a, this is a private <laughs> event. You can't really come. So eventually I would let a couple people in and I was like, okay, we're going to have to call, we're going to have to do something a little bit different. So we, we called it the Culture Brunch. Um, and I had an investor which is Marlon Nichols. Um, at that time he was at cross culture. Now he's at Mac Venture Capital, it's one of the largest funds in, in LA. And he was like, Let's just do this together. Let's invite some founders. I'll invite some VCs, you know. Let's and then we invite some um, you know, some other interesting folks, and let's put them. Put them all in a room together that they normally wouldn't be in a room together. Let's make sure there's a ton of alcohol, a ton of great food, and 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 let just you know, forget all the ultra professional part. Let's just let people be people. Mm-hmm. I will tell you our number one success story is um, if you're if you're familiar in esports, a company called PlayVS and 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 Delane Purnell, and Peter Pham, Peter Pham is a VC from science and Delane an incredible founder today. But when he came to Culture House, he had an esports idea and he didn't know any VC. Well, he knew VCs, but he did not know Peter. Mm-hmm. He meets Peter at the party on the dance floor and they decide that day to be co-founders on Play VS. And he told Delane uh, to move to Los Angeles. He moved to Los Angeles. Play VS has raised over $100 million. Okay. That happened because of Coach House. That's awesome. And and I think for, yeah, for him to be a kid out of Detroit, to meet someone like Peter Pham and to be where he is today is the power of what happened when you just uh, put people in a room and give them an opportunity.
0: All right. So what are three apps you can't live without? Three acts that I can't live without? Yep. Um acts. Uh give me some examples of apps. Oh, let me re- ask you again. Three apps you can't live without.
1: Oh. oh, three apps that I can't live without. Well, I you know, I'm hopefully I'm really interested in getting a home right now, so my Redfin app is really highly used <laughs> at this point right now. But um if 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 I'm if I'm just looking at my my top 3 apps um that I can't live without, it's going to be my Gmail app. Mm. Um uh it's going to be um, it's gonna be WhatsApp, um, and 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 then I think it's gonna be it's gonna be um I don't want it to be Instagram, but it might, um, mm-hmm. but um, you know what it 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 not nah, it's gonna actually be Looker, I need Looker because that's the analytics portal for for my companies, and I and I and I wake up and look at that every morning, <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: so yeah. Uh, if, be- if any listeners are on Instagram, I definitely recommend following Rodney because, like your your Instagram is very well done.
1: Thank you, thank you, thank you. I uh, I I uh, try to you know make it a, a thing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, how about a good like book or podcast recommendation?
1: You no know way. I I I've been you know I I've read so many different types of um, entrepreneur books. So I'm not going to tell you to go read another one. I'm gonna I'm gonna get all fuzzy and tell everyone to go read um all about love by Bell Hooks. It's a good book, you know I think I think we have a distorted view um sometimes of of what it what love means and I, and I, and I think it's it's good to to be reminded. um and it's like love at the human level, right? Um, I used to tell everyone that you know, solo was this social experiment of like us Americans really being empathetic for each other. Um, so I'm a firm believer that that still exists. And, uh, I think that's a great book to, to read.
0: That's an awesome one. I, I love it when I get a great book recommendation that's outside of the business world, because I do love the business books and the entrepreneurship books. Don't get me wrong, but to get something kind of a little bit different is uh, always welcome. Well, Rodney, exactly. thanks so much for taking the time to walk us through your background story, all the great companies you've been building, and obviously all just the, the great, great work and contribution that you're making to the overall ecosystem.
1: Uh, thank you for taking the time and, and thank you for for this moment. Um, and and thank you for this podcast and and what you're up to. So I appreciate that.